so glad that you're here. We're glad that you're a part of what God's doing, and we are very excited to welcome this week. Um, uh, this month is called Easter, a New Beginning. So let's start with this. We're going to read some different passages from the last week in the, in the life of Christ. And I'm particularly excited about this holiday because it forever marked human history. It's the greatest week in history, and um, we're excited to be a part of that. We believe that Jesus is God's son and that he died for our sins and he was resurrected by the power of God, and he lives forever, and he's interceding for us. So as a church, this is what we believe, and we're going to be talking about three different truths today that are that Easter reminds us of. So let's begin. When he said these things, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Now, that's just a little phrase here, but has any, have any of you been raised around animals, specifically horses or donkeys or mules? Have you, do you know what it means when it says, On whom no one has ever sat? That mean, do you know what that means? That means they're going to be bucking. That's going to be hard. It's, 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 quite, it's quite a spectacle, but it just says, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now, this is like um, some men coming into your business, gentlemen or ladies, and saying, we're going to take a great portion of your merchandise with us. And when you go, what, what, are you, what are you doing? They say, the Lord needs it. That's the equivalent in the day because animals and livestock were of great value and part of the merchandise. So they said, just say the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying this donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. Now, it just says that little phrase, they helped Jesus get on it, but I would love to have seen that. I would love to have seen the disciples helping Jesus get on that little bucking donkey. Yes. And as he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Now if you think about it, this is the culmination of his three, three years alive on earth, and the disciples had seen countless, numerous Miracles. In fact, the Bible says that if every miracle that Jesus did were written, the, the, the pages couldn't contain it. He did countless thousands of miracles. And so the disciples, there was a great crowd of them going with him to Jerusalem. And it says they were shouting. They were so excited because of all the miracles that they had seen Jesus do. So the first thing that I want to think about this morning, the truth about miracles. We serve a miracle-working God. We believe that God is a God of miracles. 
And here at Northwest, the, the leadership, the pastors, the eldership, the small group leaders, we believe that miracles happen today. In fact, some of you might have attended the healing team and had prayer for an ailment in your body, a sickness in your body, a problem in your family, because we believe that God is the God of miracles. And I know that some people today think that miracles don't really exist, that miracles all have a natural reason, a natural occurrence, and there's no such thing as a real miracle. We don't believe that. We believe that, yes, some things do happen naturally because we believe that God is the God of the natural order. He created it all. He's also the God of the supernatural order in the realm that he lives. So we believe that miracles are, are real and true today. You think, well, maybe miracles happened when Jesus lived, but we don't think they happen now. Or, okay, maybe I believe in miracles, but why are they so arbitrary? Why do you get a miracle? Why did your mother live another 10 years and mine was, were taken? Why do they seem so arbitrary? Let's look at something. Miracles are signs. In the Gospel of John, the word for miracle is simeo, and that means sign. Miracles are signs, and what does the sign do? If we look at this sign, what is this a sign for? Disney World. Does it, this is a sign that represents something. It's pointing to something greater than this sign. If you stood out in front of this sign, took a picture, paid thousands and thousands of dollars, would you have experienced Disney? No, this is just a sign. It's pointing to something greater than itself. The sign isn't about itself. It's always pointing to something else. Look at this. Here's the sign of Daytona. If you got out of your car, snapped a few pictures, got back in your car and went home, did you experience the waves? Did you experience the sand? Did you experience the sunburn? The sunscreen in your eyes? No, because this is just the sign. And miracles are wonderful. And we believe that God is a God of miracles, but we don't stop with the sign. We go on to what the sign is pointing to. The sign points to something greater. The miracle is wonderful. And if God chooses to do a miracle in your life, hallelujah, amen. We need it, we want it, and we want more. But it's pointing, the miracle is pointing us to something, someone who is greater. A sign gets your attention. That's what causes you to pay attention and go, wait, wait, what, what just happened here? We remember the story, I won't take time to read it right now, but the story when the disciples were in the boat and the, and the sea was raging and Jesus was asleep down inside the boat and the disciples were like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that, that, that we're all gonna perish? And Jesus who is Lord over the natural order and Lord over the supernatural order said, peace, be still. And what happened? The, cal the sea calmed. And what happened to the disciples? That got their attention. And they're like, wait a minute, now who really, really, who is this man? The natural world obeys him. Who, who, who is, who, who are we dealing with 
here. Another time we remember that Jesus was walking on the water. He had some kind of relationship with water people. Remember, he's parting it. He's sending it down and flooding the whole earth. He's walking on it. He's sleeping. You know, he's just him and water. I love it. But he's walking on the water. And some people will say, well, they're just stepping on stones or the water wasn't that deep. That's, that's what you have the faith to believe. But I know he was walking on the water. And Peter's like, hey, hey, can I do that too? If, command me to come out there and do it too. And Jesus said, okay, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat. And as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water. But that was a sign to show the disciples, I am Lord over the elements. I am God's son. I am who I said I am. The sign was to get attention. Now, as far as we know, Jesus never walked on water again. As far as we know, Peter never walked on water again because it wasn't about walking on the water. It's not about the miracle. We don't need to have a, a five-day seminar on how to walk on water because it's not about walking on water. That got your attention and points you to the Lord of the ocean, the Lord of the sea, the Lord of your life. Amen? Amen. We love miracles, and Easter tells us that our God, the God that we serve, is a miraculous, miracle-working, wonder-working God. And when he does a wonder, when he does a miracle in my life, in your life, it's to direct me, God, what are you doing? You got my attention now. Thank you. But what are you doing? What are you trying to say? Because I know this is pointing me to something greater. God still puts his power and provision on display for our behalf. We believe that. And Easter reminds us of that. The second thing Easter reminds us of is the truth about life. The Bible says that Jesus came enjoying life. He was laughing, having fun, going to parties, so much so that people said, guys, that guy's a drunkard. That guy's a, he, he done, he's crazy because he loved life. But he also says that in this life, we will have trouble. We will have problems. The truth about life is Jesus came to give us life, abundant life, but we're also going to have problems. We're going to have obstacles that stand in our way to reaching that abundant life that Jesus promised us. But problems cannot stop whatever you're going through today. Hear me, please. Whatever you're going through today cannot stop the power, miracle-working God moving on your behalf to show himself strong. Amen? Let's see what the scripture says about this on the last day, the last week of Jesus' life. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for his beloved's body. Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. Now, if that were you, and the body of our Lord was in your care, 
you can imagine how lovingly you would care for that body. And that's what Joseph of Arimathea did. He carefully wrapped and preserved the body. In fact, he had a new tomb, a new grave area, which he was very rich, and so it was very grand, very unusual to vary how he wanted to be buried. And he said, no, this is for my Lord. This is for Jesus. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Now, he didn't just do this himself. It was a great stone. He had help. It just says he rolled it and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb, watching. They're watching what's going to happen to the man who did everything for us. We're going to watch his body. We're not going to let anything happen to this body because this man loved us. This man delivered me from demons after demon after demon. This man raised my brother from the dead. I'm not letting anything happen to his body. Because they thought that's all that was left. They sat there watching the tomb. Watching that great stone being rolled into place. Forever barring them from loving that man that loved them. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver once said when he was alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he's been raised from the dead. And we know that was a theory going around, people that didn't know any better, that were not actually there, that his body was stolen. If this happens, we will be worse off than we were at first. Pilate said, take guards, secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb sealed the stone that was already there that could not be moved. They sealed it, placed guards around it to protect it. Disciples have a problem. This was the man that they had pinned their hopes on. They had left everything for this man. They were part of that crowd that was yelling, he's done so many miracles, hallelujah, blessed be his name. And now, his body is dead, crucified. They saw it. There's a stone in the way. There are guards there. It's been sealed. You have a problem. Some people look at you and go, what could, what could she possibly, what problem could she possibly have? What problem could he possibly have? He doesn't know problems. We can't tell by looking at people what they struggle with, can we? We don't know what fears are raging in their mind. What tormenting thoughts. We don't know. But I do know this. Everyone has problems. And maybe your problem is, there's a stone in front of it. My dream is dead. I had a dream for my family, my grandchildren, and it's dead. And not only is it dead, there's an obstacle in front, and the people that I thought were going to help me are now in the way. 
This is what the disciples faced. And the two women were watching, watching the guards, watching the stone. They saw it sealed. Suddenly, 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 all at once, you've got a problem. Keep believing, keep trusting, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, because suddenly, suddenly, there was a great earthquake. I want, ah, wish I could have seen it, but I'm going to see the next time he does something big like that. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, sat on it. He has, God has such an incredible sense of humor. For those people that think that God has just got a long white beard and he's always angry and he's throwing lightning bolts and he loves us. He loves you. He loves your family. He loves how he created you. He formed you. He loves you. He has a wonderful sense of humor. And the angel is sitting on the very thing everyone thought was the problem. That's the problem right there. It can't, nobody can move the stone. The angel took care of the problem. And those guards, those burly men that had seen the horrors of war, says they were so frightened. They, let's see what it says. The guards shook with fear. What does it take to make a battle-hardened man whose life is on the line, who are guarding this, this most serious of criminals, who has upset the entire region, what would make them shake with fear? And they fell into a dead faint. The problem is the stone. The problem are the guards. The problem is the sealed tomb. The problem is my finances. The problem is my husband. The problem is my wife. The problem is my health. The problem is my lack of education. The problem is I've got too much education and nobody will hire me. The problem isn't the problem because God takes care of any problem. God is bigger than my problem, bigger than your problem. We have a miracle working we have a wonder-working God. And Easter reminds us there is nothing impossible with God. I don't care if your faith is the size of a mustard seed. I don't care if your faith is big. God can do a miracle in your life because that is who he is. And if we don't get caught up in the sign and look to him, the God of all creation, the God of the supernatural, Always serve a wonder-working God. The biggest problem we have is not a problem for God. Romans says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That wonder-working, death-defying Power lives in you. I'm going to ask Pastor Jared and the band to come up. They're going to help us with closing. The last point that Easter reminds me of is the truth about death. The truth about death. The truth about death. 
there were some writings that were discovered um, when the church was still in its infancy. And these writers were not believers. They did not believe that Jesus was God's son. They were just writing about their observations about the people that lived in that time. The people that said, we are followers of the way. We are followers of this man that you crucified. We don't think he's dead. We've seen him. We know he's alive. He's not dead. And these men wrote observations about Christians they weren't called Christians at the time. They were just called followers of the way. We make observations about them, and we see that their life is different. Their life is different. They love what is unlovable. They love children. They love orphans. They love widows. They love the poor. They love the sick. They love the lame. And what's more, they die well. They die well. It was a striking observation to people who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was, but that the followers of Jesus died well. Why could they die well? Because they knew that wasn't the end. There's the philosophy that says there is nothing. There's just a void of nothingness after you die is a lie. We will go from a temporary world where we're living now into an eternal place with Jesus. We die well because God has made provision for us. Let's read this following scripture and then we'll close. People of Israel, listen. People of Northwest, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. As he was raised, we will be raised. We die well. For our, our family that has died in Christ, we will see them again. We live well because we know in whom we have believed. We die well because we know he's faithful. Everything he has said, he's faithful. Would you stand with me, please? And I encourage you this morning, if you are struggling with a problem, I don't know what it is. You've kept it to yourself. Your spouse are in agreement. Your small group knows about it. It doesn't matter. I'd like you to come forward and join me. We're going to sing a song that, that testifies that we believe Jesus and God are the God of me. He's the God of miracles and that he will do something in my problem suddenly. Suddenly, the angel came down. Suddenly, there was an earthquake. Suddenly, you get a phone call. Suddenly, that person reconciles. Suddenly, you have an answer from the doctor. Suddenly, you are healed. Suddenly, we believe in the God of Easter, the God of miracles. Amen. Pastor Jerry.
just want to encourage you before we begin, like, like Dr. Crystal just said, please, I know it can be uncomfortable to step out into the aisle, you can lose that safety of the chair or the people in front of you, but so much of getting close to God is taking a risk and breaking our comfort zone. So please, if you're feeling like God has something for you this morning, if you just have those, those butterflies in your stomach that the Spirit is slowly speaking to you, quietly whispering to you, take a step. Move out of the aisle. Move down front. Do something different. Show Him that you so desperately want to experience Him. The God of miracles. Thank you. 
years ago the authorities and the powers that were controlling the world at that time thought that by raising Jesus up on the cross they were going to end this little movement by this petty little man and eradicate the world of his influence what they didn't know is that Jesus tracked them down to that very time and place and that by lifting Jesus up on the cross they lifted up the gates of heaven for the King of Heaven to come in and save you and me 
our neighbors, our family members. They let the power of heaven come in and they didn't even know what they were doing. I thank God that he sent his son to us that way. What a mighty God to take on all of my sin and all of what is owed to me and let me go free. He is wonderful beyond imagination. Lord, make us more like your son. Lord, that when we hear the word preached or the whisper when you speak to us, when we're quiet before you, I ask that you would make us more sensitive to those words, that we'd be more quick to obey them, more ready to drop the sin that we're holding, quicker to repent and quicker to love, that we would be more in tune with your grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross for us. You gave us the greatest gift of all. And we praise the name above all names. In Jesus' mighty name, we say amen. Amen. Have a happy Easter next week.